Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! crazy man yelling very loudly in a house with lots of people in Ocean Beach, San Diego right now because I'm traveling with my family. You know why? You guys want to know why? Because I am a goddamn entrepreneur. I don't even know if I'm going to put a bleep there. I don't even know if I'm going to put a bleep there. I am doing it. It's possible to do it. I have more questions than I have answers. I am in no way, shape, or form financially viable past the next six months. However, I am doing it, <laughs> and it's uh, it's it's exciting. There's something there's something amazing about the idea alone that you can live life on your own terms, that you can design life the way you want it to be, the way you want to support your your wife and your children if you have those. That's what I have. For me, if I can take care of them, I feel like a million bucks. And uh, and most of the time, my wife's been the breadwinner. I'll just be honest. <laughs> but things are changing. I've always been working as an entrepreneur, trying to build something on the side. And through that like decade of side labor, turns out you can learn some stuff. So much so that we started teaching it here at Fizzle on the podcast. Uh, what are we, episode 302 or something like that? This is uh, this is like we've been doing this podcast for a long time. But we got this podcast started like, what, like two years or something after we started the actual training programs which we created inside of Fizzle, which are still going strong to this day. Again, as a listener of the show, you can go to fizzle.co slash try five to dive in with a bunch of other entrepreneurs, people who are honestly putting their ass on the line to build something. This isn't like make it rich quick. This isn't like if you just do it this way, then for sure you're going to be successful. And if you don't do it this way, then you're like dumb. Or if you do it this way and it's not successful, then it's like, I guess the, the universe is not your friend or some or something like that. This is like honest to god, what have you found out about being an entrepreneur? Like it seems to be like it's constantly what worked yesterday is not going to work today, but there's things that work <laughs> this morning <laughs> that other people are doing that you can pay attention to and like actually it gives you some ideas and it helps you to actually make progress on doing your business. So that's what this show is about. That's what our businesses are about and uh, and what we're looking into doing today, which is exciting, is getting an actual glimpse into what it's actually like to be an entrepreneur because one of the most sensitive things that you have one of the most like most important resources that you have as an entrepreneur is simply your energy your ability to 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 get motivated to do something your capacity to push the boulder of your business just one more inch up the hill and not completely let it roll back on you and get destroyed and distraught, dissatisfied, completely listless, depressed. This is like when I go into sweatpants and Netflix mode, right? Which, which I've gotten really good at, by the way. Huge tip for some of you out there. Not, a, not all of you. Some of you. You're not, get, you're not like lying in bed watching Netflix enough. <laughs> Some of you are doing way too much of that, <laughs> but there's at least a few of you that if you did that more, you'd actually, you'd actually get a little rest. You'd actually get off your own back a bit. You'd actually like stop hating yourself a little bit because you feel somehow rested. 
I'm not going to keep going down that. <laughs> this feels like it's turned into <laughs> into like talk radio. I feel like, hey, <laughs> I feel like I'm on talk radio right now, but I'm not. The truth is, we have three people on the line with us today, and uh, and one of them is very, very special. Not only has he been around and fizzle for a long time, not only, only has he had meteoric success through his own business and his own experience, but what we'll learn today is that you can be, you can go through a lot of successes in your life and still there can be things you haven't yet learned and that there's another lesson coming and the humility of continuing to learn and to figure out what's best for you is actually like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. So first of all, let me say hello to my co-host Corbett Barr. Corbett, are you there? Yeah, I am. I'm excited for today. I can't wait. All right. Love that. And then Aiden Fishbein. Hello, sir. Mm -hmm. Yep, hello, deep in the closet. <laughs> in more ways than one. And then <laughs> our guest, Tom Ross. Tom, say what's up to everybody. What's up, everyone? This is surreal. Why is it surreal, Tom? It's surreal because I've listened to the show for years, so being on the other side of it is pretty crazy and pretty really? humbling. Well, yeah, like, like where, are you, where are you typically when you listen to The Fizzle Show? I've been everywhere, but wherever I was, I normally ended up giggling out loud and getting strange looks. <laughs> well, we aim to please. We do aim to please. So, Corbett, I'm going to let you set this up, because this all came from a conversation that you had with Tom like a week ago. So, so catch the listeners up. Yeah, Tom and I were catching up because, as you said before, he was a Fizzle member way back in the day, one of our earliest Fizzle members. And um, Tom was also one of the most helpful, most contributory Fizzle members. I remember for a while there, he was basically offering to critique anybody's website to help them with design issues because he has a design background. And he had like dozens or hundreds of conversations with Fizzle members. And um, Tom and I were catching up just to kind of see what's new with him it's been a while and um remembering how great it was to have conversations with him back in the day and he told me a story during that hour that blew my mind and i thought we needed to share it with the fizzle audience oh man i am like dying so like how well before do we have any sh sponsors for this episode corbett <laughs> um i believe we do and i'll text you that uh and we'll get to it in a bit Okay. All right. All right. Good. Because I kind of want to just like, I'm just like, let's get those sponsors. Let's get those sponsors happy and red because I want to dive into this because when Corbett just says it's fast, I, I, I don't know what the details of this thing is yet, right? Of the conversation. I'm like literally learning this as the listeners learning it. So I'm so desperate to get into it and to stay into it. So Corbett, how do we like, uh, how do we start up the conversation well, with Tom? Yeah, Tom, what, where should we start? Because I, I love your story as well and the business that you've built. Let, tell people just for context, the business that you're running and um, a little bit about the history of it. Yeah, sure. So when I came to Fizzle, I was in a pretty bad way. If you guys remember, I'd been quite badly burnt in the business world. I was lacking in clarity and I've been through years of misinformation and bad advice and that kind of thing. So it took a lot of digging to find the good advice and find some good mentors, um, which was pretty awesome when I stumbled across Fizzle. Um, but in terms of the business I'm now running, it's called designcuts.com. It's a little over five years old. It is a marketplace for designers to find like the resources and the tools that they use day to day. So when designers are geeking out over like 
having a real nice shiny font or like Photoshop brush or illustrations put on a mug or a t-shirt. Like we sell all that kind of stuff to a, a global community of about 400,000 customers now, which is pretty fun. Mm. 400,000 customers. And you've built the team up to pretty significant size now. How many people are working with you? In terms of in the office, it's about 17. And then we got some remote people. So it's like around the 20 number now. 20. Wow. wow. And you guys are based in the UK, right? Yeah, we're like south of London. That accent isn't just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a marketing bruise. It's not mutually exclusive either. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. So like, I mean, first of all, these are huge. This is like a huge... Like I dream personally of having businesses in that space, right? Where it's like 400,000 customers, 20 employees. You're like somehow surviving in London, <laughs> London town. <laughs> and like, and it's, it's like, it's a big thing that you've made. Like, I don't know. How, do you feel the success of it? Does it feel like a, well, it's not as rosy as it might seem. What, what, is, what does it feel like to you? It's definitely not as rosy as it might seem. I mean, I love it. I freaking love it. It's my baby. The team are like a family now. The culture is amazing. So I love coming into work. But at the same time, the bigger it gets, the more you have to lose. And so being candid with you guys, I think every day, even on like the best day where everyone's celebrating in the back of my mind, I'm like, but what if it all went away? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That feels like something that like that even in our in in our time having employees at fizzle when i was like actively involved in in employee stuff it was like i was realizing how much how much these people are actually believing in what we're doing <laughs> you know what i mean and and like right? and like dude I, we just made this you know like we're making it up as we go right like <laughs> like we don't like actually have a mission from god i just like have to make things feel like i have a mission from god and i think that gets people into it you know, there's like, I think that's it. What, yeah. what, you make it up as you go along. What, right? what is that? <laughs> what is that like for you making it up as you go, as you go along? It, it, it is. Uh, it's scary. I think that's the thing when you're, um, when you're an entrepreneur, like a CEO, anything like that, you are the last line of defense. Sometimes I think how nice it must be to have a boss just to give you some direction or like, if you screw up, you can fall back mm -hmm. on them but it literally is like you there and that can feel quite lonely at points. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's invigorating. And in terms of realizing where we're at and what we've achieved, we tend to be too in it to really do that. Um, apart from each year at the Christmas party, the directors tend to get far too drunk and then just huddle together like old men looking proudly out at the children on the team. And be Isn't like, that a great we, moment? We, yeah. It's so nice. It's like the warm Christmas glow. And we're like, we built this Dude, from nothing. That is, C.S. Lewis has this bit about, I think it was until we have faces and he, he, he's talking about why men drink, you know, in this, it's this like mythic tale. He's like, men drink, to 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 reconnect with how noble their lives actually are, Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like this experience, we've all like a lot of us have, have probably had experiences like that, where you're looking, especially with your own kids and and like family stuff and stuff like that. Like I, those moments are really special. They're like really special, and yet there's so much of that that's probably available to us on a daily basis, but we we just we choose to go to war. We choose to be in like trauma mindset the whole time. Yeah, I think contentment is a very underrated thing. Um, and I guess we'll cover part of that today. But seriously, just being like happy with how things are and not always pushing for that next thing is pretty alien to me. Wow. 
Uh, okay, this is good. Corbett, do we have the sponsor yet? Because I have a great I have a great next next bit for us to get into. Yes. Okay. Today's episode of The Fizzle Show is brought to you by Gusto. If you have a business or know someone who does, you probably know that small business owners wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some, like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing, benefits, and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so that you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old school, clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses work. But Gusto is. And better yet, the end of the year is the best time to switch. Plus, listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll for being friends of The Fizzle Show. So you can try a demo and see for yourself over at gusto.com slash fizzle. That's gusto.com slash fizzle. Booyah. Is that, is that what we got? Is just Gusto? That's what we got. Oh, goodness gracious. Let's get into it. Okay. So Corbett, <laughs> this is like you, you were telling me about, about, um, what, what one of the things that came up with you and Tom Ross when you were catching up is that in the context of everything that we're talking about, your CEO, you, you kind of like that, the challenge of contentment, right? The like once a year time when the managers are getting together and realizing like, Oh my gosh, we're doing something significant here. Um, every, all the rest of the time, it's like war zone modality. You know, you're like a, you're like a journalist in a war, in a war zone. Right. And, and (laughs) this idea of contentment, happiness and enjoyment, of the work you're doing while you're doing it is such a uh, I mean it's a, it, at the very least it's a millennial trend <laughs> Do you know what I mean? like these millenniums aren't so dumb right they're like oh right they're so entitled they're so entitled yeah you're right they're really entitled they want to enjoy life as it is happening to them <laughs> because nobody knows what we're doing on this planet anyways so we might as well be enjoying ourselves these entitled a holes right it's like <laughs> and they're probably recycling in the process they're probably recycling and, de- and deeply concerned about the environment <laughs> they feel a little bit guilty that they have it well when so many others don't have it well and it's making them go a kind of craziness right it's it's like this is this is the thing that's affecting all of us we're all looking for the good life and that that idea of the good life in the 80s talking to you dad uh looked a little different <laughs> you know what i mean you can't blame that they, they just invented plastics do you, know, do you know how exciting that would have been? Right? So their idea of the good life just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now a lot of us are, are kind of like, just like, even in the context, do you hear this listener in the context of a massively successful business, like the dream, the thing you're trying to build right now, right? Even in the context of that, you could still just be working for a shitty boss. And the shitty boss lives inside of you and he's never satisfied right? Like the drill sergeant in full metal jacket or something like that. And at some point you want to call, call into question that relationship because it's going to run you ragged, which now let's begin the story of then Tom went out into the world and, and what, what happened, Tom, you, what happened? Okay. So after I left the Shire, um, I was like, right, head down. I'm going to do this thing. Lego um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so really, as I say, I, I had a lot of bad information over the years and I got so much clarity from Fizzle. And 
I went into my next business, so started up Design Cuts at this point, and I just felt like I had so much more clarity. I was raring to go. I felt like I'd made so many mistakes over the years, and I was like, I'm going to start afresh with everything I know to be true now. And I don't know if you remember, Chase, you actually mentored me. I do remember. Personally. I like won a contest or something and we were jumping on and that's a whole other story. But like, are you that saying was that your 400,000 well. customers and 20 employees is in some small way, thanks to my involvement in a young man's life? <laughs> is that, is that what I'm picking up here? Because I mean, I don't want to say you're a father figure chase, oh, but oh. Uh, in many ways, <laughs> if you could smell me right now, I am fuming <laughs> with life. <laughs> Because this is all I've ever wanted to to be for someone. But I do remember it very well. And I remember you being, this is what's such a striking thing, listener, is is like Tom was just like every other fizzler I've ever met. You know? Like, diligent, hardworking, curious. There was some subtle differences. There was, even from the start, Corbett already mentioned it. That idea of him being in the fizzle forums going like, hey, here's something I know how to do. I'd love to help you guys if you need it. He's just giving. He's giving something about the things that he knows people are struggling with. That was some, that was a subtle difference. You definitely see that sometimes in fizzlers. And, and I don't think it's a, I just don't think it's that much of a, uh, of a surprise that you're the one who you're one of these that, that has seen a lot of success afterwards. Cause you were just, that's a kind of diligence in working. Do you know, there's a kind of like focus on the work that you're doing. That was kind of magic, I think. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. No, it's good. And like, I, I loved doing that. I still think back to that thread and I feel like that was the inception point of helping people. Something really clicked where I'm like, I'd like to do this. And yeah. I don't want to like gush too much, but I do want to put out a public thank you to you and Chase. Like it was massively pivotal. I can't understate. It wasn't even a minor part. It was a major part in like, you know, reforming my thinking on this stuff. And it, it really did give that clarity. So public thank you. Wow. That's powerful, man. Um, so yeah, like from there, I basically, I took a lot of that clarity and then I added an extra piece to the mix, which I'm going to call Gary V hustle. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yep. And a lot of the listeners do. And so I had like a lot of that good stuff, um, from fizzle in terms of like how to treat your audience. Something I still quote to this day is, um, serve your audience rather than using them. Mm. That was really, really formative. And so all of that stuff, which really kind of resonated with me. Well, I'll stop you right there, dear listener, just mm-hmm. in case you haven't yet. This is one of the first courses that we ever put into Fizzle. You can get it for free for five weeks at fizzle.co slash try five. It's the Defining Your Audience course. It's one of the first installments in the larger Fizzle roadmap. Just so you know, we've been doing this for a while. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And <laughs> some of the things that Tom is talking about, it's like that's still to this day one of the better courses on understanding how to think about your audience. That's all I wanted to say about that. I love that course. We literally did that course at the start of Design Cuts. You'll be happy to know, Chase. Really? Like on a whiteboard. Yeah. <laughs> we called him Little Timmy and we defined this imaginary person. That's great, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, um, so I started the company and it took about six months to build. Um, I basically had like a Dragon's Den or I think you guys uh, have Shark Tank yeah. out there. Yeah. So I was like... Um, 
Oliver Twist and his bowl of crew like met up with my now business partners being like, Hey guys, I, I got this idea. I want to take a punt on this entrepreneurial kid and, and kind of sold it to them. And, and luckily they said yes. So then we got to work six months of like complete grind and insanity building it and preparing it and designing it and all that kind of stuff. And like I say, my, my recipe at the time was pretty much like fizzle clarity with some of the the better parts of Gary Vee in terms of like how he also treats his audience very well and brings that value, but also that that hustle. Totally. And so um, for that first six months and then about the first year of the company, so like between 12 and 18 months, um, I was doing over 100 hours a week, wow. 18 hour days. Um, it was ludicrous. And this is not hyperbole. I think as I, I chatted through with Corbett, I think it's kind of cool now to be seen as a hustler and a lot of people are, are faking that and like putting all the hashtags and like, they're like, oh, it's so cool. Like I didn't sleep in two days, yeah. um, whether that's true or not. But I promise you it was literally a hundred plus hours a week and it was every waking moment. I yeah. I didn't have time to eat. Like I, I live with my girlfriend and, and her family at this time and I would get in from work. I would join them for literally five minutes, like wolf down my dinner and then be like, sorry, I can't sit with you for the rest of the meal and I'd go and keep working. I'd kiss my girlfriend goodnight at like 10.30 p.m. and then go next door and keep working until like 4 a.m. And I literally remember like falling asleep on my keyboard and picking my head up by my hair, slapping myself in the face, putting in Gary V, like screaming in my ears, the hustle. And when I describe it like that, it sounds like a form of self-torture. Right. Exactly. Time, it really does. It, like, how are you, like, what, where did it, where did it get to Tom? It, it got pretty bad. So, um, I mean, that, that was a, a good amount of time to be doing that. I didn't hardly see my friends. I didn't watch any TV, like, cause there was no time for anything apart from work. The only thing I did apart from work was like small moments to eat and sleep. And, and I didn't and, get enough of that. And what was, what was your mental state? Not, and I don't mean your mental state, like as an outcome of working so many hours, but what was the, what was the mantra or the thing driving you to put in those hours? Like what, I, I guess you're saying Gary Vee's literally in your ear, but in your mind, you were thinking that you had to put in the, that number of hours in order to succeed or that if you did put in that number of hours that you would be more likely to be successful. What was, what was causing you to sacrifice so much at the time? So there were a few things. I think one of the main parts was that we were profitable from day one and it became an addiction because it seemed like the harder I worked, the better we did, which mm. was true. Um, and so it's like, where does that end? Because then I should just keep working harder and harder, right? Because then I'll do better and better. So that was certainly part of it. But I think the wider like psychological answer is I always felt like a bit of an underachiever, whether that's accurate or not. So Throughout school, I would get very good grades, but I would do the bare minimum to get them mm. and think, why would, why would I bother working any harder? I did the same at university. I, I wouldn't go to lectures. I'd just show up late and like pull an all-nighter and then get the bare minimum to get the degree that I wanted. And then it started to click that that doesn't really play out in the real world. And I was starting to get a few wake-up calls of like, oh, wait, like the rest of my life is on me. And so it was a combination of that wake up call, but also I just wanted to see what I was capable of. So the same way that runners will hit the wall and then persevere and keep going through or people like break PBs in, in the gym, it became like a personal challenge to be like, I want to see 
what my limits are and how far I can push it. So hold on before you, that, that, I love that. That was actually, you kind of broken three things there. And in the second one, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the language that you used for it. And it was like this sort of, um, what was the, what was the word you, or the words you used at the beginning of that? It was, um, uh, well, like underachiever, yeah, underachiever, say, say just a little bit, actually that way. And that was the whole, like you kind of weren't, you were showing up, you're doing just a bare minimum to succeed. And you kind of, it was almost like a guilty for that. Yeah, I think so. I, I just felt like the older I was getting, I didn't want time to run out on that stuff. And I've done it for a lot of years. So even when I used to freelance and do web design, I remember agencies would outsource to me. I do the work and then they'd add margin on top for the clients. Mm. And I was like the master of coming up with excuses because that's what worked for me at school. So I would do the work and it would be like just in the nick of time or sometimes even like a day or two delayed, which was pretty crappy of mm. me. And and I, you know, I just come up with these excuses, but really it was that I was too lazy or, or I wasn't organized right. enough with my time. And right. I just left everything until the last minute. And so having gone through, you know, nearly 25 years like that, I just thought, you know what, like, I feel like I'm better than this and I'm going to give this my all. Yeah, this is fascinating because you and you've even said it a couple of times, this like concept of like waking up of, of just like, hey, like coming to the table, you said it, it doesn't really work like that in the real world or that's not going to be satisfactory enough for yourself. I mean, it sounds like what, what you're what you're saying is, is you wanted to see what you were capable of. Right. You want like a event. You like, first of all, you've got this underachiever thing. Um, and, and it's like, well, I, I, you know, I have resonate with that like immensely. Right. And I look at my own life and it's like, I'm kind of, you know, dragging my feet through everything because it's actually cooler to not do something than to do something. Right. Unless you're really gung ho about the thing. And I don't know if I'm gung ho about it, but then this thing's making money and, and I get to sort of have the lifestyle that I want uh, ideally, then let's keep going after it. And now we get excited about something. We're getting this like bump from it. You're getting like a, Oh my gosh, like I'm pushing that Steve Jobs has that quote about you push the universe here and, and something pops out over there. It's like, Oh my God, I'm, ca- <laughs> yeah. I'm causing something to happen you know and so it's like where can this go like where can this go and you start to get high on your own supply right you kind of get a megalomaniac <laughs> thing going on this is all, we all go through this i think and so at least it's a it's a pattern that i've seen happen a lot and, and it's and i i have gone through the same thing and then uh it's just seeing what you're capable of kind of turns sour at some point and f- like I, I like, I'm curious to hear what, what was that like for you when you, when it was like, I mean, you, you just des- described a moment where you like peeled your face up off the keyboard and slapped yourself, right? Yeah. And shoved motivation <laughs> into your ear and said, you have to work. You have to, you have to, right? Or, or whatever it is. Like, cause if you don't, you're not a real entrepreneur, right? So <laughs> That's what, genuinely is that? what is that? I don't, I, I think part of it as well, to be honest, um, is the beauty of doing the work. And I know you guys talk about this, but I mean like in terms of the the raw execution of it, I know for a lot of years I would live in daydreaming and notebooks. I had so many hypothetical businesses and I would literally draw out future revenue. It would be ridiculous. It would be like, well, if I just increase my membership count by 20% a month, I'll be a millionaire in 18 months' time. And yeah. That's just, it it makes no sense. That's not the real world. And so I guess that was also part of like the whole Gary Vee thing. And a lot of the the stuff I was trying was very much like being in doom mode all the time, execution. And it was like a a switch flicked because I was like, oh, like it, it sounds so obvious now, right? But it's like, oh, you mean if I actually like 
do the work and work relentlessly instead of just thinking about the work stuff happens mm-hmm. but it really is like a, a gear change and i think so many people just bounce around and live in their heads well, and totally. you know even if they're doing the work they spend a lot of time up in their head as well and when you're in that work mode and that's all you're doing you don't have time to bounce around in your head you're just executing all the time yeah i call that getting manifesty like there's a big difference between people who who are getting manifesty in their life and people who are like really wanting to get manifesty in their life. And they've got journals and notebooks. They've got keynote presentations and they've like, you know, they've put the avatar, uh, you know, they've really, they've done story brand on this thing. Like they're really, do you know what I mean? Like it's like you could just yeah. do so much work about work and there's zero actual work that's gotten done. It's like, it's like the uh, whole entrepreneur thing, right? Exactly. It's exactly the whole entrepreneur thing. And, and that's fine. I actually don't like no bad like that. It's, I wouldn't wish being an entrepreneur on anybody. I just wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't wish being a successful entrepreneur on anybody. It's not for the faint of heart. Like you really, it never stops. Cause even when you're, no. even when you get the thing that you thought you wanted, it's always a realization that like, Oh my God, there was this other deeper thing that I was looking for. Right. And now it's like, and then it's like, it requires so much wisdom it's because so much balance because you have no idea what the market, what the world, what the economy, what, what, the, what, what commerce is going to do. Right. But you're like signing up to go down the rapids in this little road that you're boat that you're going to make while you go. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Just grabbing timber. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it, it's, it's funny. Nuts. It's Sorry. funny. You, you say that chase that you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you can also say the same probably about a lot of other things that are, impossible to achieve rewarding at the same time, you know, like being an artist or an actor or any kind of creative pursuit. And I don't mean creative, like artsy fartsy, but creative, like you're, you're doing something or even being an athlete or something. Yeah. They're so competitive and so difficult and you have to operate at such a high level and it's relentless, like you said, and you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but at the same time, wouldn't you kind of wish it on everybody? It's like, I don't Mm -hmm. understand people who aren't, who, who won't admit their affliction. They won't admit the, the addiction they have to this actually, to bettering themselves. Like I, I see us, I was just talking yeah. to, I swear to God, uh, this morning in the, in the, I went down to the park to meditate, you know, sit and blow some smoke. And, uh, and this guy came over and he lived in, he lived right like on the house on that park for the last like 25 years. He was like, dude, I, when I first moved in here, this whole park was sand and like the water on high tide would come up to it. Now it's this huge, like, you know, developed sports park thing. And he was like, do you want to know what, and I swear to God, this is where the conversation got is it went to, do you want to know what God is? <laughs> I swear, this is just what I attract in my life. He was long stroking his beard. He's picking up poop like it with a with a dustbin and stuff just because he's like i need the exercise <laughs> he just walked around the park, picks up poop, and he has the exercise and he said do you know what god is god is getting better every day that's what god is and in some ways this going down the river making the boat while you're doing it that i call entrepreneurship is way bigger than entrepreneurship for me it's more aligned with what you were talking about corbett living a creative life and in fact that's what liz gilbert calls it in her amazing book big magic which i still am i i i vowed never to finish but always be reading because it's like the best toilet book right every time you read that in the morning it's like it takes what steven pressfield did in the war of art and it just like it make it, it like turns it into like a a 50 course meal 
right? Stephen Pressfield puts out like a handful of very simple, great things to eat. They're like, oh man, just a, so good. And then Liz Gilbert takes and turns into this massive feast. Um, but she calls it the creative life. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're wanting. That's what we're wanting to be, to both be productive and creative and, and that that would be sustainable, right? This is like this yeah. great, uh, this great, uh, I don't know. It feels like what the modern human is really trying to optimize for. Is what it, and so I, I say I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I also on the back of my mind I'm like, when are you gonna re- when are you gonna just admit that you're going through the same exact thing? Because we all are, every one of us. That, I, I have to stop you. I, I think that's I have to beg to differ. The modern human is actually optimizing for minimum bezel size. <laughs> <laughs> what? I we agree. just need a better screen on our iPhone and then everything will be good. <laughs> Modern humans are actually optimizing for greater picture density is what I hear you saying, you know, better pixel density. That's right. Yes. That's good. Okay. So this is, this is amazing. I mean, we've obviously, I think there's people listening to this, just like nodding their head along, like hitting their steering wheel, um, like going deeper in their run, because this is what we're talking about when we're talking about like having wind in our sails. You know, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about feeling like like we're right where we're supposed to be in life. And this eventually ended up this 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 nonstop working, this sense of if I don't keep executing and doing, then I'm not a real entrepreneur. This sense of if I just if I if I just, you know, get 20 percent more membership every month, then I'll be a millionaire in, in 18 months. You know, this sense of like we can get more. What basically is going on is we're refusing to answer the question, when is it enough? Right? It's like, or what am I after? What am I after? When is it enough? What am I really looking for? Right? We're just kind of like, because it make, and it's not surprising at all. The whole thing about growing up in, in modern world is like, you got to earn a living, man. You got to earn a living. You got to find, if you can find a way to make life easy for you in terms of money, like you are one of the, you're one of the lucky ones. Right. And so it's this, it's like, we have it on this pedestal. And then those of us who who go like, look, that's the Holy grail. And we go after it. There's all these insights along the way where we get disillusioned with, with the, the whole thing. And then what work becomes after that is a very different thing. In my experience, it comes more down to what Tom was talking about in the kind of seeing the, the beauty uh, in the work that I'm doing or almost the calling in it or the, the rightness in, in, it's almost like surrendering to what's going to come through me instead of figuring out where the opportunity is. It's realizing what's desperate, what like is, what is, what I can't help but surrender to, which is more Liz Gilbert language. Again, uh, big magic, highly recommend that book. So Tom, like, where did this eventually get you? This incessant kind of, um, this, the, like it's profitable from the, from the start, profitable from the start. So I might as well keep working because that's a, that's a kind of yep. motivation. I've also got this underachiever thing where I've kind of been asleep at the wheel for a while. Now I'm sort of, you know, coming online in a way and going like, I want to see what I'm capable of. Right. But this leads to pulling my face off the computer, you know, keyboard and slapping myself. To keep going, yeah. like just forcing myself and to that, keep that going. That happened many times as well. <laughs> that wasn't a one-off. Um, yeah, it started spilling out into other parts of life as well. 
so it's like you become a man possessed and in the limited spare time I have, I remember doing stuff like go-karting with my friends and I never used to be that competitive, but suddenly I had to win every race. And, um, I think what I equate it to is, have you seen that movie limitless? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like that, but the start of it. Yeah. So, um, where the world comes into color. And, um, I've talked to my dad about this as well, cause he's, um, been an entrepreneur for 30 odd years and you feel like invincible. Mm. You feel like you're Superman, yeah. like you can take the world on, like you're just on fire. And, um, and you, I think you need a bit of that. Like to an extent it makes you blinkered and blind, um, because you're like so overly confident, but you, you're so filled with adrenaline. You just want to take the world on. Yeah. And I know that's wow. not silly. It's not like I'm building Apple or something. You know, I've got my my little company over here, and it was even littler back then. But that is how it feels. And I think whether you're building a company or or you're a solopreneur, when you start to hit that traction, um, it really is like the best feeling in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that, like, really, I, I've just been sitting here listening, Tom, and and you. It's really very scary to have like been the guy banging his head up and down over here, relating, relating, relating. Um, and then that imagery that you just painted with the limitless, it's almost like tasting blood, you know, in the water. And, and all of a sudden, like you've been this domesticated house cat and you taste flesh. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden like that adrenaline for me, I relate so fiercely in that, that whole not being a super competitive person, becoming a super competitive person. Um, I don't think uh, anybody properly prepared me for the implications of what it was going to be like for that to start a cycle and a loop that was going to have highs and lows and spin me around and around faster and faster and faster. I'm going to start smelling some smoke. There's going to be a little bit of fire. The fire's going to grow. I can't stop the cycle. Um, and then uh, I can only I can only assume what happened next because <laughs> I mean this is my story you know this is precisely what's happened to me when, I was when, very Aiden, very well articulated when Aiden <laughs> I mean this is this year this or not this year but 2018 was like the peak of the cycle so from 20 the end of 2016 to the mid to end of 2018 it was that loop that I. Finally, this was on me. Finally, there wasn't a, a boss on the outside telling me what I needed to do. And it was like, it was on me. So, so I, I mean, just that like, oh gosh, I, I can't cheat my hours anymore because this is, I'm cheating myself. So let's see what, what I'm all about. And then as soon as that kind of guilt and that, that, uh, that self standard dissipates and then I start realizing that I can achieve some massive results. I get very curious, just like Tom was saying, I get very curious about like, okay, well, I, I thought that was the edge, but here I am at it performing at a level I, I never expected. And I, you know, I kind of pinch myself. I check my vital signs, right? I seem like I'm doing okay. So it's like, all right, let's bring on some more. And, um, and, and I think what starts happening to me is I start getting desensitized and I start losing sight of actually a healthy gauge there mm. because I'm so interested in where the edge is, just like the movie, yeah. right? You're in a bubble, so it's not a two-way conversation. When I had Gary Vee screaming in my ears and I was just consuming like hustle porn, as the kids are calling it now, um, it's not like you're hanging out with your friends getting perspective on this stuff. You are literally in this little bubble being a hermit, like killing yeah. yourself, and, the, and there's no one really there to pull you out of it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, and that's 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 what I'm hearing in your story. I mean, this whole idea of of 
the way you were allowed to work and for for the sake uh, i mean your your girlfriend just like put up with it your family or these relationships in your life they just put up with it or whatever it, to some degree um and, and i'm sure there was a lot of conversation a lot of what you you're coming to grips with this was due to the fact that the way that she was holding you know space for you or being in that relationship with you or wasn't or or certain friendships or relationships like it's like a, a part of what your own awareness of of the problem being there is is people around you constantly in tiny little invisible ways to you because you're like a bull in a china shop right just it's invisible to you but the, there's there's messages there the whole time and you're just not picking up on it. That's what it's been like for me is realizing, Oh God, it's these relationships that when I am in tune here to the people that like matter the most to me, when I'm, when I'm in tune with who matters to me and then I am like, meaning just like who those people are. And then I'm in tune with them. Like, where are they right now? How are they? They might, do I know where they are? Do I know what they're going through? Do I know what, where they're tasting the blood and the water and, and, and having this appetite as well. Right. Do I know where, where they are? Am I in relationship and connection with them? What I'm realizing is so much of my pursuit of success was simply because I didn't know that you could, you could have good relationships <laughs> Do you know what I mean? that you could like <laughs> that a family relationship could be fun and like meaningful and deep instead of just constantly just trying not to make each other mad at each other, you know, and just like, it's just <laughs> yeah. like constantly avoiding bombs going off or something like that. And now I see like, I see Melissa, my wife, and my son, Aiden, and my daughter, Etni, as like, and then beyond that, also like my friends, Corbett and Andy, and like guys that I just did mushrooms with this weekend and stuff like that, like these really deep relationships, these meaningful friendships, uh, they're like, they tune me up. They true me up and their con- my connection with them makes me, f- that's where I actually work out that whole, oh my God, I'm not alone. Oh my God, I'm not crazy. Oh my God, I am somebody, which I was always trying to get that feeling from the work, you know, from the success, the yeah. I am somebody thing. I mean, no one wants to be one dimensional. I remember um, at school, there was a guy in my year who got incredibly good at guitar very quickly because it was all he did. And he'd go home and he'd like practice arpeggios and just over and over and over again. But in a social setting, you'd try and talk about anything else and it would be like back to guitar. Yeah. And it becomes the same thing with entrepreneurship. Like if you're one dimensional and that's all you've got, I pretty much like forgot how to talk about other stuff. And right. Converse like a normal person for a while, right? Right. It's it because it because it, it, it's a it's actually a fun arena. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's actually like it's really life giving. Like this is farming. There's just there's just the entrepreneurship is just. I'm convinced it's just farming. Do you know? It's like it's not a big complex thing. I mean, of course, it takes forever to learn. It takes a long time to learn. It takes a long time to learn how to farm. Not that long. You know, but you have to understand the soil. You have to understand the seasons. You have to understand when to plant, how to treat the, the, the seed so that it sprouts, like how to treat the thing throughout, how to, you know, and, and farmers are constantly navigating things as they come up. And there's a massive wealth of knowledge that a farmer has. The same thing with any experienced entrepreneur. It's just like watching a crop come up, you know? Um, and, and so there's like, there is a, a massive amount of information to learn, but at the same time, it's, it's just like, that's what you have to learn, dude. That's what you have to learn to survive. If you're living in the jungle 
and you're like, there's like a massive amount of animal sounds out there. There's 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 a few you really need to know about. <laughs> like your ass is on the line if you don't know the sound of a jaguar and whereabouts it is. If it's if it's nearby, then it's like, okay, guys, guess what? <laughs> Light the fire up. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we got something to, to pay attention to, right? Or <laughs> or if you don't know the sound of your own health deteriorating, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, that was very much what happened next unfortunately <laughs> so um what started happening was i would i, I kind of had a bit of an ongoing cough which I, I ignored through this process and it started getting worse and worse and there was a couple of uh, podcast interviews that i did way back then and i listened and i couldn't go like 15 20 seconds without coughing well which must have been great for the guy hosting the, the podcast. Um, and like I say, it just got worse and worse. And I remember after nearly 18 months of doing this to myself, I burnt out really, really hard. And I was just like a zombie. I couldn't even string a sentence. It was like I was just sleep deprived and drunk all at the same mm. time. And I just crashed and pretty much went comatose for a day or two. And then I pulled myself out of it and thought, okay, back to work. That was weird, but let's let's crack on. And then the same thing would happen a few months after that. And then the same thing would happen a few weeks after that. And then a week after that. And then before I knew it, I was like, ah, what's happening here? And I was just constantly burned out. And then I thought that was the worst of it because burnout, I'm sure you guys have all been through it. It's a horrible feeling. Like, mm-hmm you just feel in a pit of despair. You feel like depressed. You're like, what's wrong with me? You can't pull yourself out of it. You can't think your way out of it. And so I thought that was the worst, but then I started getting really sick and I started, um, literally like vomiting for one to two hours every morning. Uh, so I'd get up, go to the bathroom. Sorry, this is kind of graphic guys, but I'd just, just start, start vomiting away and be like retching and just be horrendously ill. And I just thought, what the hell is happening to me? And, and, I would start driving to work and I'd, I'd be like vomiting while I was driving. So I'd have to like, uh, I remember screeching over in busy traffic and having to like vomit onto the road and people like bibbing their horn at me and stuff. Wow. I remember one time I had to like screech my car into a corporate car park by the side of the road and like run out and start vomiting in their car park. And a bunch of people in suits are like getting ready for the day, looking at me like, who's this druggie? Who's yeah, just, <laughs> totally. he's an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah what exactly. is he in tech? <laughs> Um, so like I I was not well at this point and so I I started going into the office later and later because I had to get this like out of my system quite literally in the mornings Um, and then I just pull myself together and try and you know hustle through the afternoon and it just got worse and worse and worse and eventually after seeing a few doctors um, they told me that I needed to have an operation like a stomach operation and they diagnosed me with having a hiatus hernia if you guys know what that is, it's like essentially where your stomach has slid up into your esophagus, hmm. where it definitely shouldn't be. And that triggers like a lot of horrible stuff like vomiting and so on. Wow. And um, they were saying to an extent, like they can be genetic and sometimes they can lay dormant and not have symptoms that bad. Um, but they said it had been exacerbated by lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, stress and that kind of thing and so I went and uh, had the surgery and I I thought in my head I'd have it and then they say like oh it's an eight-day recovery period by which they mean like that's when you can potentially go back to work Mm -hmm. I thought it would be like eight and I'm better Um, what they didn't tell me is it can have a really bad recovery period for that surgery Mm -hmm. Um, so for me that was a little over two years as a recovery 
And for the majority of that, I was unbelievably sick, like chronically ill. Um, so I had the surgery um, and I was like, okay, I'm doing all right. Like, uh, you know, the stitches are healing up. I'm, I'm going to go back to work. And then suddenly, as soon as I went back to work, it just started getting worse again. Um, and I was like an old man, literally I was like an 80 year old man, uh, for the first month, month and a half, I had to go on a liquid diet because wow. your esophagus is kind of loosening up. So I was already a pretty slim guy, uh, and I lost two stone in a month. Wow. Uh, so I just looked like a skeleton. I was like completely washed out. What's a and, like, stone in pounds just for the American? Like, uh, so it's about 30 pounds. Okay, I lost so, si- so you lost 30 pounds? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, like very, very quickly as well. Um, cause I was on like one soup a day. Yeah. That's all like a stomach. Um, and then eventually I started eating and I'd eat anything and just be like curled up in agony, like screaming on the sofa, um, out the back of my office. And my team would come and check on me and be like, are you okay? And I'd be like, yep, I'm fine, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just went on and on like this. And so I was like shaking. I could like literally barely stand up from my office chair and the whole time, all I should be doing is resting, but I'm thinking, well, I've nearly killed myself building this company. I'm not going to throw it all away now. Otherwise all this would be for nothing. Um, and you know, beyond that, like, it's not like not being an entrepreneur where you could just go and walk into another job. Like I couldn't just walk into another company at this level. So I had to try and hold it together and try and maintain like managing the team and building a culture, which is damn near impossible when you're chronically ill. Okay, let's pause there for a um, second because that is like that is that is a very real feeling to me. You know, the sort of like the can't go backness of it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't just st- I mean you could start again, but you'd literally be starting again. Yeah. If any of my team quit, they'd go and get a similar position job, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean that is that is like yeah. That's the, the, and, and there's, I think there's a lot of unnecessary, I think there's a lot of stuff we're, we're making up about that, about that fear. And it's like, there's a lot of stuff that if I was sitting with you and coaching you, or for example, I would just, we, and you, that fear comes up, we're talking about that. That's where there's so much more possibility than any of us typically think of. Like we see what's going on right now. We imagine this is the best that we've, we could ever possibly do. And we're lucky to even be here because we were on top of the world, even though it killed us. You know what I mean? Even though it's literally dragging, yeah. like taking our life force energy, like into the dirt, you know, we still have this attachment to it, this, this security we feel from it and this sense of identity and specialness from it, right? To put some terms on it. It's, but, at the, but there's, there's, it almost blinds us to the idea that there's any other possibilities elsewhere. I mean, in my work now, yeah. these, nowadays, I'm, I'm coaching people more often and, all I do is help them see possibility. That's it. Once they see the possibility that they're kind of blind to, they have everything. Like, I don't need to talk to them again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're just, they're off to the races because you've got every, like, physician, heal thyself. You have everything you need. Everybody out there is pretty damn good at doing them. Uh, but when we get stuck not seeing the possibility, I do, I've done this my whole creative life, right? Like, I'm my own worst enemy for getting myself out of the pit. And yet I feel like I have to do it all alone all the time. And like, so the way that I'm thinking about things is the right way. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. I have actually proven, I have a great track record for being so far up my own ass. I don't even know how to, <laughs> I don't even know how to navigate. Well, if, 
if you want to be introspective, be an entrepreneur. Yeah. It triggers it like nothing else. Yes, totally. So, so you're having the sense of like you, you in that situation on the couch with your staff coming in to check on, you're like, I'm okay. And having the feeling like I have to stick with this because if I don't, I've built all this for nothing. You know, yeah, it was terrible. That's a story like that. You're making that up, right? You're ma- that's a that's literally just we're just ma- like, yeah, right. Like you can't go off and do something else. Like you can't you find your own way and go back and look. Oh yeah, actually, Grandpa used to do. He had this amazing company that blew up, and it actually like it actually cost him so much he had to walk away from it, right? And he just he rolled with it. You know, like like I think a fundamental shift that I've had is realizing that as much as the business is great, it, the business isn't the asset. I'm the asset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we all develop a skill set and experience that we absolutely can go and apply to whatever in our futures. Yeah. And I think because I mean, because you're you, the pro, the real profit and loss sheet and like it, it is is only examined in those last few moments before you actually expire on this planet. <laughs> You know, you know, it's like that <laughs> yeah. death, that death is re- is really the the where you judge yourself. Right. Where you're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna judge yourself and and God and the rest of us are standing by just can't wait to see how it comes out you know I mean we're really rooting for you right <laughs> right is how it, it but like <laughs> your judgments of yourself are the main uh are, are what I in this whole story is what I hear as the main uh the main conversation that's going on you know uh, yeah I, I love this and this is really nostalgic because it kind of takes me back to when you were coaching me back in the day and we'd have these super big profound conversations and it would be like and we're at the pearly gates and behest the judgment is and then i'd finish and be like so you mean i should take down the ads in my side <laughs> 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 <Yeah. laughs> that's rich i miss that man that's rich <laughs> that's rich because now you're seeing that like that you like you are the product you are the asset you're the only one that can catch uh how this is affecting your health really you're the only one that can catch what your gut's actually telling you you know you're the only one that can see if you're trusting yourself or not if you believe in yourself or not right or if you have to grind it out every single day because you actually don't believe in yourself and you're not going to believe it until you see it you know it's like and that which is a kind of it's a kind of you're taking out energy from your future to to have it right now to do some stuff but it leaves you in an energetic debt in some ways you know which is what you experience your body your body literally told you like lie down (laughs) well i mean what you were doing you were vomiting (laughs) you were like your body's literally like retching stuff up it's like saying like like quit it it's like saying stop it or something like that Yeah. You ever seen The Exorcist? Yeah. Pretty similar to that. Um, I mean, as horrible as all that stuff was with the physical, actually the mental side was Mm. even harder, I would say, because um, it didn't get any better for quite a long time. It wasn't like a steady improvement for quite a while. And so what I thought had happened was that I would be that chronically sick for the rest of my life. Yeah, And even doctors weren't ruling that out entirely yeah. i guess to cover themselves so i kept going back to the doctors and they'd be like it will get better and i'd be like but it still hasn't after a year and and it was freaking me out because i i thought i'd basically ruined my life just to hustle yeah. and build a company and i was like oh my god like what the hell have i done um and that that was really tough it was the frustration as well because normally i'm quite a good problem solver so i think my way out and it's like you know 
we find solutions and, and that kind of thing. But you can't when you're that sick, like there's nothing really that you can do apart from just rest. And so I remember driving to work and I'd be like punching the inside of my car and crying in frustration, just being like, what have I done to myself? There's no way out of this. I can't fix it. I'd be making tea out the back in my office and just like bursting into tears. And this is very unlike me. I tend to have a pretty positive outlook. Yeah. And so at that point, I have to go and start trying to rebuild my life. So I was seeing a dietitian who basically for ages, I could eat like white rice and about two other foods. Mm. That was depressing as a foodie yeah. for months and months. Um, started seeing a personal trainer and like very slowly trying to build the strength back up, started seeing a therapist, which I'd never done before. Um, I'd recommend that to anyone yeah. uh, for the record, yeah. but that, that was huge. So like basically I was investing any savings I had in rebuilding my physical and mental health because I realized that had to be the priority, but it was a long process. Wow. And, and you guys, you guys remember when, uh, when Joe was on the podcast the other day talking about these, these really wealthy folks, trading their health for money for the first half of their lives. Yeah. And then, you know, at least, at least you could, uh, you, you succeeded yeah. and could afford the therapists and the <laughs> trainers and the nutritionists. Is that the goal right. though? That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. It's all, you're right where you're supposed to be. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have real luxury deathbed. <laughs> Rolls Royce of deathbed. Well, is the point. Well, not at, not at this point. pace or at this rate now. Now that you've seen the, this, the, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who are a lot older and they're still just, they're just scrubbing away, just working away, you know? And they, it's like, they still, but they, but they never, the body never, never, when your body speaks to you the way that yours did here, Tom, like it is like, you d did not have a choice but to listen. Like it is such a harrowing experience when your body speaks in this kind of a dramatic way. Right. And you don't listen to it yep. for so long. And eventually now it's like we're getting operations and then we're and then we've got all this stuff we got to do just to support the operation because operations are like a big deal. Like you go in there, you move stuff around, you cut things up, you stitch it. It's like it takes a lot for the body to come back from that, you know. And and so like when your body speaks like this and a lot of entrepreneurs that I've talked to, mostly they're they're in their they're getting into their 40s at least um, because you can only keep it up for so long. You, you, you know, you, you like your body starts talking back to you. And then that is when we start to get in, when we get in harmony with our body, our energy or whatever, that's when we can really get like, get into a rhythm and find a sustainable way of working where we're serving people. We're getting juiced up by serving those people, creating things that are interesting, pushing the art form further, pushing ourselves further in a way that's exhilarating but isn't overwhelming constantly that isn't a kind of uh like i don't know like almost elitism you know like what you were talking about the, yeah. the ambition i feel that as well it's like it's like uh, i don't know it's some, something about it's almost related to to who like how different from other people i have to be in order for me to be okay Right? Yeah, you're being in a room being like, I'm outworking all of you. It's like this weird pride thing. It is. It's, it's like crap, it's like what though. are we trying to prove here? It's like that my mom loves me more than your mom. It's like that it, it, like I don't I don't get it. And that's why I that's where I kind of pivoted off and and, and reached escape a lot because I already had like a bunch of like spiritual sort of, you know, I was a Christian like hardcore evangelical guy and studied that and became a you know, to become a pastor and then we walked away from the whole thing but but like uh, 
in in that found all sorts of other ways of talking about it afterwards and now i'm like so for me it's like it's a very energetic thing or a very spiritual thing a very ramdas kind of thing and i've loved those those ways of talking about it because they are they're just like preparation for death and that's why i like psychedelics so much is because it's like it's a challenge <laughs> every single time it's scary you're facing your fear and your sense of self every single time you know, and, and there's nothing there that's like exactly the same thing. Holding a DMT pipe to your mouth is just about as exciting as sending an email out to 60,000 people and hoping that it works because the... And don't do both at the same time. <laughs> never, never ends well. Never. <laughs> no, they cancel each other I out. Never, never do that. <laughs> but like, you know, because the first half of 2019, like basically in large part depends on the strategy that I'm putting. You know, it's like it matters. It matters sending out that email. Uh, there's just... There, I'm lost now. There I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were about to uh, tie everything together by saying, and there you are, seeking God, trying to get better <laughs> one day at a time. There you are, trying to, That's exactly. Cool. That, is, that is the tie-in. Thank you, Corbett. Corbett, what are you, what are you hearing over there? Like, well, this is like, I can well, easily see why you were like, we have to get this on the show. Yeah, I love, I love Tom's story. And um, also... I guess I'd be curious to know, looking back on this tale, I mean, it's easy to say, well, don't work yourself into the hospital, right? That's that's yep. kind of an obvious takeaway from this. But at the same time, like, you know, those 18 months that you spent working 100 hours a week did lead to something. And you must have learned something about the relationship of the heart-centered, audience-focused business philosophy that that um, you share with us at fizzle and the combination of that with the hustle mindset and and how powerful that can be so is there is there something that you would some advice that you would give to people so that they can avoid the consequences but get some of the benefits that you experienced yeah i guess for me what I'm still trying to find, I'm doing a, definitely a better job now, but not a perfect job. Sometimes I, I still push it too much because I think I'm just type A and that's in my nature. Um, but it's finding that sweet spot and it's different for everyone. I know some people you work with, their balance is working four hours a day and they're perfectly happy and they don't need to kind of push, push, push for that next thing. I'm not really like that. So for me, it's trying to manage like well if i work at 110 percent, i burn out but if i work consistently between like 80 and 90 percent, i'll have maximum output but not go into the bad area mm. um i wish i could give like a more elaborate answer that's just what i've been that's, toying that's with that's really for the like kind of what you found year or so. is like is like if i can keep myself at 80 90 percent meaning like i'm i'm uh, you know it's like it's just like you take the 40 right of beer and you pour a little bit out for your homies beforehand Right, (laughs) which is the same thing. How in the Old Testament, it was the it was this concept of the first fruits of the crop. Those are like those are special, and you still see this all around the world in like like Hindu cultures and Buddhist cultures, where they'll take like some of the best fruit, they'll put it out in a little sort of like tray and light the incense to the local god or something like that. Right? It's just it's like it's like a way of saying thank you. Um, and, and like, or you know, I, what I prefer is, you know, pouring out a little for my homies, um, a little more out of the same <laughs> sentence, forties <laughs> to fruit chase Reeves, ladies and gentlemen. But, but like, are you really finding that it's just, it's like one little trick is just as simple as that. Just like leave some in the tank. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone has a different number. So for me, I've worked out if I work about 12 hours a day, then I'm okay. The second I go into 13, 14 hour days and beyond, then I crash mm -hmm. and really quickly. Right. Um, and it's kind of like a, a silver lining because mm. my body reacts so quickly. Whereas before it might take six months to react to the damage that does. Now it will be the next day. And I'll just feel wrecked and hung over and I'm like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And so if I do a 14 hour day, I'll follow up with a six hour day kind of mm. thing. I'm curious, Aiden. So I have Aiden, kind of an interesting, yeah, go I ahead. Want, I, I'm kind of like, Aiden, what do you, what do you do? What do you do to manage this? Well, I think this whole conversation is pretty instructive because I think, I think most, I mean, I'm even bold enough to say all super successful individuals have an experience with burnout like this. Um, maybe not as dramatic, but maybe, maybe pretty dramatic. Yeah. And I think this is one of the dangerous things of having kind of like automated coaches, mm. uh, is because they're not sensitive to when you're burning out. But I do believe in burnout, um, because I do believe in the lessons and the motivation that pain begets. But I think it's dangerous to not be prepared and to not be aware that that's where you're headed. And my recommendations, what I've, what I've done in my own life is, you cannot know where your 80 to 90% is unless you know where that 110% is. And if we say that that 110% is the edge and 111 is off the edge mm -hmm. and, and anywhere between 100 and 110, you're really dangerously close to the edge. You need to have some experience getting to the edge. And I recommend doing that with, with a real life coach, right? Um, who, who can help you see when you're approaching the edge. Mm. And they can help you kind of scale back from the edge or at least catch you and pick you up after you've fallen over the edge. Because, you know, ideally, your burnout doesn't look like Tom's burnout. Um, and ideally, it's I, not. I it's wouldn't like, wish it on anyone. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I remember people talking about this, including you guys at Fizzle, who would be putting red flags up and be like, you don't want right. to burn out, man. And my business partners would start saying it. But when you're in this mania, it's like you're some entrepreneurial coke fiend or something. You're like, screw you guys, I can do it all. Like, I'm not going to listen. Right, and so, right. so people people can really articulate very compelling arguments why you shouldn't be doing it. But when you're in that addictive spiral, yeah. um, you know, it's just like a drug addict. Yeah. Like, you're not right. going to eat their warnings. Yeah, right. And and so the way I would argue, and this is exactly parallel to drug addiction, um, you know, for somebody like me that is that is burnt out at 105%, but didn't learn the lesson and is burnt out many times, trying to figure out how to cement the lesson in, I don't think you, Tom, are going to need more than one experience like this, right? So you, and this is kind of, I don't know what the, what the mixture is or the recipe is, and, and I can't prescribe anything. I think it's very individualized, but, um, uh, not a dramatic burnout will probably result in you having to learn the lesson a couple times or have the experience a couple times before the lesson is fundamentally and permanently cemented. So the more pain, the more change and the faster change typically, but I'm not definitely advocating for that kind of health. I guess I'm just saying retrospectively experiences like these are absolute assets. It's yeah. never a good idea to strive and go forward trying to have experiences like these in my opinion, but Gosh, they're just gold nuggets 
when looking back. Well, and if you don't look at it that way after you've experienced something like that, I mean, basically you have to learn to look. Tom has to learn to look at this with gratitude. Otherwise, it's going to turn to resentment and resentment and bitterness just breeds more of that, which is the chip on the shoulder that was there in the first place. Right. And so it's like you get into a place of humility and real weakness and you experience your own mortality in this intense sort of way where you go like, geez, Louise, what is important in life? Dude, that old guy Mm -hmm. who came up and talked to me about God, he just had a stroke and a heart attack on the same day about two and a half months ago. Right. And he's, That's a bad day. he's 72 and he's like, I got to do, pick up this dog poop just cause it's like, it's out here and I need to exercise. The, he holds the shovel. He's like, shovel's about two pounds. This dustbin's about a pound, you know, so it's good for me. <laughs> but, but he's like, he kept, he was like 72. He's like, he came over to talk to me cause I, he was, he was like, I wonder if I have anything I could share with that young guy over there who's meditating and, and trying, like he's working on his life. He's like reminding me of me. Right. And, and he's like, I'm dying. That's what I know now. And he's got this profound fear of that because he doesn't know when the next heart attack is going to come. So he's like working on his diet and working on, you know, he wants to keep it going. Now, all of a sudden, Tom wants to keep his life going. Do you know what what I mean? It's like now Tom Tom goes through all of this and now all of a sudden it's like, wait, I want to keep my life going. You know, I want to keep it at a level. And and now you're in the dialogue with your own sort with, with a little more humbleness is what I, what I sense. You know, I'll- I don't know if you guys find this, by the way, mm-hmm. and I don't want to speak like ill-informed about proper mental health. Like one of my, in fact, my oldest friend um, is bipolar, mm-hmm. and so I realize that I'm not manic depressive, but I feel like a kind of lesser version of that is inherent to an extent in entrepreneurship because you get these bouts of mania followed mm-hmm. by depression, mm-hmm. and it's like this endless cycle, and so. Um, you feel like you don't want to quell the highs, but you have to because you know they're going to lead to bigger lows. And that's in everything. Like even even this weekend just gone, I'd had man flu for a week. And I don't know if you have the same thing, but when I come out of the flu, I feel so energized because totally. I'm like, I'm back. I'm back to my normal self. Yeah. And so rather than like taking it easy on that Sunday that I finally felt better, I got about 50 things done around the house. I was like, turned the house upside down and went proper like manic with it and then did the same thing, like diving back into work. Mm-hmm. But I just had that little voice now where it's like, I need to calm down a bit. I could stay up until like 5 a.m., arranging everything and doing everything but i'm putting myself to bed because i know the road that that takes me right down. i think for me when you're talking about you know your strategy is like the be, just being at 80 90 just watching it it sounds like you're just watching it watching for when it's, we're we're, we're, get, we're we're revving a little high you know i i personally have dealt with the by like a lot of i think at certain points in my life i could have been easily diagnosed with bipolar stuff because of my the depression and the mania, just the way that it was flipping back and forth. And I was kind of a slave to whatever mindset I was in, whatever modality I had at that moment. Right. Uh, but I wasn't staying up like multiple days. Except I, I only did that once. <laughs> I only did that once. <laughs> was that the mushrooms? That again? was the MDMA. The <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the thing that, I, that, I'm like the funny joke before we got on uh, is I was like, dude, I just talked to a guy about God in a park and I'm drinking three beverages. I've got a poo air tea with like a fancy chocolate built into it. I've got a soda water and I've got bone broth with ashwagandha and like mushroom powder in it. <laughs> like, it was just, I, I thought you were kidding. No, You're actually drinking. I really drink like every morning I have this like private primal, I don't know, primal mat or whatever, like uh, this chocolate uh, collagen drink. 
drink and bone broth and collagen are like really good for you. It actually tastes, it tastes great. It's like a chocolate milk, hot chocolate milk. I add some mushroom powder. I add some, add some ashwagandha. If I have other stuff around, I'll just add that in too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like I, I'm finding that, that thinking being more intentional just about my diet stuff, just using that as an example. I'm not saying ashwagandha and all this crap is meaningful. I'm just saying it's meaningful to me just because it helps me stay in that mindset of like, I can only give the energy that I have. That's it. When the day's when the so, when the day's done, like I know it's going to be done because I'm going to be like, I'm at the law of diminishing returns at this point. And when I know what to work on, that's when I work on what needs being done. When I don't know what to work on, that's when I do all sorts of work about work, get all sorts of distracted, and I end up the day feeling like I didn't produce anything meaningful. And that feeling right there breeds a kind of insanity in me over time. And it takes me from my kids, it takes me from my wife, and it makes it so life is less enjoyable. So when I think of the managing the 80 to 90%, all I think of now is, um, is what am I pushing towards? What is, the, what is the outcome I'm going for? What is the thing that I'm committed to have happen? Um, and, and I'm going to be proud of myself if I get that done. And, and sometimes that has a timeline associated with it. Sometimes it doesn't. A lot of times it's just like, hey, I'm making serious reviews of products that are on the internet that are an option that I just happen to have. Like that's what I'm doing right now. And I can take that seriously because there's, there's, you know, about 40,000 guys out there who are going to enjoy when I take that seriously. Like they've shown that they will enjoy when I take that seriously, you know? And so I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> I guess I get to do that right now. Right. And then you have, then you have calls or you're pushing through other things, working on the website, having coaching clients that I have now and, and stuff like that. So it's like, whatever the job to be done really is, it's really focusing on that thing to me that helps me to energize enough to get that done. And then I'm done. Then I have to be done. That's when I go sit in the park and talk to an old man about his death. Right. (laughs) You know what though, Chase, like what I struggle with is when is it done? Because I can apply pretty much limitless potential to anything that's very so, clear from your story here that the one question <laughs> you're asking or that the whole world seems to be asking you is when is enough enough yeah. when's it done and it applies to anything so corbett you alluded to um you know what is a combination of like the fizzle community building and hustle that could be something like how deep can you go with your customers and I'm a believer, like, you know, very deep. You should provide ridiculous value. Um, I did a lot of what you guys taught, like jumping on -on one-on-one calls, messaging all all my followers. I I love to do that. Like message everyone who follows you and be like, thanks so much for following. Like really appreciate it. I'm not selling you anything, but like, let me know if I can help with anything. That's great. But when you combine that kind of caring ethos with hustle, suddenly it's like, okay, so I'm going to stay up all night messaging 500 people they're all going to start getting back to me i'm going to start video chatting and for them it's one conversation but for me it's 500 that's the stuff where it's like you can always go more and i i truly believe that most people are far too pushy and salesy like all the you know bad advice and internet marketing i think that sucks so i'm pushing these days much more towards unscalable marketing but that itself kind of predicates burnout right Mm -hmm. when you're when you're building those one-on-one well, this, relationships, I think it's the most powerful marketing, but it is draining. It is. To- and, and so what is the work to be done? Is it to be 
to be talking to the clients or is it to be giving the clients a good experience? And what is the, what is the nature of that experience? Right. And that's when to me, the product has to do all the work. The product is its own reward. That's what it's like for me with, with the bags and stuff like that. Like the, you get a good bag. If you've done the research and it's something that you know, you're really going to like, like the product is its own reward. You take that audience, defining the audience course, and you know you're, you've got, you've got like some blockage. You're like stuck trying to think about your audience. You're probably too selfish. You're probably too, you don't even know how myopic and how one-sided you are being in, in your conversation around this business you want to do. All of a sudden, the whole dialogue of the other side starts opening up to you and you realize you have everything to learn from your audience. You don't have everything to give to them. You're learning from them mm-hmm. over time and it's a service kind of thing. Now, all of a sudden, you can create you can potentially hear enough and learn enough from your audience to create a product that solves a problem. And now it does, that does, it solves a problem so damn well that you don't need to send an email right afterwards, right? But when you're early on, like, and you're, you don't have a lot of stuff to do, like creating those deep relationships, it's a, ma- it's a matterful thing. And I think there's a huge, in- I, I, I believe in it. I think there's I, a huge really insight that. here in what Gary Vaynerchuk has done. Because that's kind of like his, his, like, you know, famously, that's kind of where he's, he's started is just that kind of interaction, that kind of stuff. And now watch what he's done. He's made himself a media entity and he's constantly sharing now, but he's doing it with everyone. And it feels like he's talking just to you in some ways. And so much of that mm-hmm. on camera stuff is actually, you know, I mean, he literally is a reality TV star. Right. He has a reality TV series. And in that reality TV series, he's actually talking to a lot of people who have questions just like you have as they're building something. Right. And so he he's morphed that model very naturally and very, very brilliantly, as far as I can tell. So there's like there's actually more possibility for how you do it than sending, you know, sending onesie twosie emails because you're looking to create the, the impact and the connection. You know what I mean? Yeah, to be honest, I love both sides. So this is something I'm doing with our team right now. I I want to push both. So in terms of the product, that should be on point. You know, you should get great product market fit. You should push that. But at the same time, I love the one-on-one interactions. What yeah. I don't like is the space between. So when I see my team responding to the same question 60 times, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's a waste and that's very reactive. So that's the bit I try and eliminate. And then I push harder on both sides. So to give you an example of this, it would be like, we keep getting the same question. So why don't we invest time to fix the problem so we don't get that question? And if we can't do that, why don't we have a compelling support hub where customers can help themselves? Which to me is easier, the product. Which is easier. Again, you're than, in the product. Again, yeah, like yeah, the, that's in the, the product. whole product so, ends like up that, growing and getting bigger and better. And I think that's like a there's a kind of there's a Mr. Miyagi and the and the bonsai tree in that. You know, it's a, it's <laughs> it's a it's a, it's a being well, with. I love the time. The time that frees up is so powerful because then I say to my team, I'm like, great. Like, I want you to have half your day freed up because now go and befriend those 10 customers and discover that one of them is obsessed with pugs and email, uh, sorry, and and post them like, you know, their perfect pug poster that you found on eBay (laughs) as a personalized gift. Like, that's the stuff which I live and breathe. Like, that's the marketing which I enjoy. What I don't like is that reactive kind of inbound stuff. So, um, for me, yes, it's like make the product as good as possible. But if you're interested in that kind of hand-to-hand combat of that unscalable marketing, I believe in it. And I think you can scale it with a team and with people. Mm. I'm happy to pay people to sit there all day and like 
be best friends with our customers. Yeah. And that's really like the Tony Shea, the, the Tony Shea model, the, the Zappos, like his book was really great about that. He was like, we delivering happiness. Yeah. yeah. It seems like very aligned with that. Okay. We got to pull this to a close, but before we do Corbett, I want your take. I want your hot take. I want your rich tip on, um, I really like this question of, of what, how Tom's managing it now, looking at it and saying like, okay, sticking in the 80 to 90% thing, keeping a little in the tank, pouring out a little for our homies. That's a, that's a, like a, a good, that's a good, uh, way of looking at it. Um, for me, it's like, it's thinking, thinking through what, just a job to be done, really brutal clarity about what we're really specific, what is very next. And I think I learned that from you, Corbett, just getting clear about what we want to do and then doing that. But I'm curious, this, this place where Tom is, you've been in places like this before. What is it? How do you think about like managing your energy and your tasks and not burning out? What's the way you think about it? I, I mean, I have a, a similar story to Tom's. I didn't have a two-year-long recovery period, but I did end up in doctor's offices and uh, with some significant health issues because I was at the office until one in the morning, you know, night after night after night, mm-hmm. and and um, pushing myself to the max. And and I also have done that in the consulting world quite a bit. So I think that. Um, where my story and Tom's differs is my first experience with working 18 hour days was in the context of working for someone else doing something that I really didn't care much about. And so I was able to associate not liking the outcome with not liking what it took to get the outcome. Whereas for Tom, he had this addictive thing that was the more time I put in, the more results I get for myself. And, um, I think that's a, that's a really hard lesson to learn. It was, I think, easier for me to learn. Mm. Now at, at the end of the day, we all have to kind of decide what our lives are about. And I think it's okay to sacrifice for a period of time to get some sort of result that will benefit you for the rest of your life or for at least a long time. I mean, if, if, you know, 30 years from now, Tom is a multimillionaire and he looks back at those troubling few years when he was working too much, he'll probably be able to write that off and say, I probably shouldn't have worked so hard, but at least my life has turned out in this wonderful way that I, that I was hopeful for. Now, if he looks back and sees that he did that and then recognizes that it's a pattern and that he dedicated his entire life to work and has regrets over that because he didn't find out what his life might really be about besides work, that could be a problem. So I think there's a lot more to learn from this. I think there's a lot of existential questions that you need to have, not just about burnout, but also about what am I doing with my life and and you know what am I going to look back on on my deathbed, like you guys mentioned earlier, and be thankful for. And you know, we've heard time and time again from people that it usually isn't work. Now, I am a big believer that work is a very important part of life, and I hope to be able to do it for the rest of my life. I don't want to just retire and kick up my feet. So my personal philosophy is, like Chase said, or like the uh, like the gentleman with the long stringy beard said, mm-hmm. I just want to be able to do this every day and get a little bit better at it. And so for me, that means I work seven or eight hours a day and and that's good enough for me because I want to be able to do this for the next 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Some deep wisdom from Kerbert Burr, the firmest entrepreneur. 
at fizzle.cur. <laughs> <laughs> so fizzlers listen out there, people listen out there, like, uh, like there's the journey that you're on to build your business is it probably matters. It certainly matters as much as you think it might. And it might even matter way more than you think it does. Because as you're building this raft going down the rapids, you meet other people who are doing the same thing. You're learning about what reality actually is. You know, like you're, you're learning about who you are, or what you're actually on this planet for, like at least, you know, your best guess at that. And all of those things contribute to a human feel, like feeling a kind of meaning in life. Feeling a kind of like great gratitude for just being able to be here and to experience these things. Um, when I think of that, I just think of my daughter. Like she's just this beautiful. She's like, how does how does anyone get? How does anybody so adorable? <laughs> how does that even happen? Right? I'm just lucky I get to see it when I do get to see it. And we celebrate you guys out there trying to build your business in whatever way that you're doing it. And you're not guaranteed crap. There's actually this great course in there. I think it's the Fizzle Mindset where Corbett and I did this like real moody, like you're not guaranteed this, you're not guaranteed that. You know, like with two cameras, like I split it down the middle. I had a fun time making that. And it's, but it's real, it's legit. It's like you're not guaranteed. And, and so, you know, I hope you dance anyway, right? This just turned into a country song, but I mean it. Like, I hope <laughs> you dance anyway because. I think that's that's what we're we're all here actually just reveling in the fact that we a get to try this b it hasn't killed us yet c we're still doing it right d we actually have a ton of opportunity and potential for the future the the future's wide open it's not closed down for us it's open right because why because we started working that's it <laughs> we learned about work and we started doing it Right? So you're right where you're supposed to be, Fizzler. Tom Ross, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing this story. Um, where can people find find you in particular and your and your business in general? First of all, thank you again, guys, for having me on. It's been such a pleasure, and it's honestly so crazy after being such a long-time listener of the show. Um, I would say the best place to find me would be my Instagram, which is Tom Ross Media. And if any listeners uh, and fizzlers out there want to reach out and DM me on Instagram saying that they came from the show, I guarantee I'll respond and give them some free help with their business just as an extra way to give back. And I also recently launched the Honest Entrepreneur Show where I talk about a lot of the realities behind being an entrepreneur, which is available on YouTube, iTunes and Spotify. All right, man. That's awesome. Tom, thanks so much for being so candid, so open and honest with us. We really, really appreciate hearing your story. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Okay, now, what episode is this, you guys? What is what is this? Is this 302? So episode 302. So for, if you want, for all the show notes, you just go to fizzleshow.co slash 302. That's where you'll find links to... Tom Ross's Instagram, all this sort of stuff, and anything that we mentioned in here. And uh, while we're at it, let me just say Bird Box on Netflix, uh, The Kaminsky Method <laughs> on Netflix. Oh, The Love Me When I'm Dead on Netflix. Please add all those to the show notes. Great things to be watching. Oh, Marie Kondo's new show on Netflix, The Magical Art of Tidying Up. <laughs> you guys get into it. There's so much good stuff out there for when you're not hustling feed your brain feed your brain all right guys find care take care serve hard and dig in thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week 
on The Fizzle Show. Bye-bye.